It's 1130. Can I preach a little bit? Somebody bring me my iPad. I want to explain to you what's happened this morning and why we have to nurture what is happening in this place every time we come together. And I will try to just be concise. Uh, I will not go into all the details, but Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. Matthew the ninth chapter. We'll take an offering at the end of the service. So don't worry about that. I appreciate those that are worrying about that right now. Matthew chapter 9 verse number 1. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. That being Capernaum or what became the city of uh, many of his works. If you read Luke and Mark, they also carry this story and they give much more detail. Matthew, remember, is the tax collector. He just condenses everything into the simplest form to give to us. But uh, he said, and behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins are forgiven thee. I don't even need to read anymore. I want to explain to you what's happened in this place today. And it is the unbeatable combination that no matter what the situation or the issues are, it is always going to produce miraculous works. Amen. Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. I love this story and I'll try to be very concise, but I, it is such a fascinating story and there's so many rabbit trails that you can get lost on when you start looking at it. And, uh, when you read the accumulative story of, of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, you get such a large picture of what happened in this amazing drama that unfolded in Capernaum. The interesting thing to me is how would Jesus going to respond to the things that happened in this story? It begins with introducing us to four unnamed men and one man who had a problem much deeper even than he realized or perhaps he wanted to admit or acknowledge. But here was a man who was crippled and unable to help himself. And uh, the these four men take it upon themselves to help their friend. And when you read the story and you see to the extent they went... To get him into the presence of the Lord is truly an amazing story. Imagine with me, if you will, for a moment that uh, 
the men, I don't know where he was, but they recognized that if we can get him to the master, that I believe, we believe something can happen uh, in this man's life. And so uh, laying on his bed, in able, unable to help himself, a burden, in fact, to all those that were around him, Unable to choose his own destiny. There are four men that pick him up and start moving him toward where Jesus is. Now, the Bible says, Scripture declares that the place where Jesus came, the house, filled up with people. They were everywhere. And so uh, that when these four men got to where Jesus was... It was uh, crowded, there was no way in, there was no door. And the sad thing is, nobody, even when they saw the condition of this man, was willing to give up their space for somebody else. I'm going to tell you why that's that's important in a minute. There's a difference in attitude between the four and the multitude. And you can be a part of a crowd or you can be a part of something else that will help make God happy and make him glad for the day. Amen. So here they are. They they come into this setting. There's no room. There's no window. There's no door. And so in their ingenuity and their uh, their their. They're, they're trying to th- think through the, the, their perseverance and all of that, their determination. Uh, they, they, they became ingenious in what they were going to do. They got up on the roof. Now you'd have to understand that the, the houses in that day were not like ours. They don't have pitched roofs. They were typically flat with a minor slope to them. They were made with long poles that were laid across the walls. And then in between, they would lay thatching. And then after having built that up with different types of material, they would take dirt and they would pack it down so that the roof literally became the storage area of their house. And sometimes there was a hole in the roof so that they could let down their grain in in the summer or winter or whatever so they didn't have to go outside the house. And so here these four guys are. They've got a man that's in dire need of help. He can't do anything for himself. And there's nobody around here that seems to be interested in helping us. And so they become creative and uh, audacious. They climb up on the roof and uh, the Bible says that they tore a hole. According to two of the writers, they tore a hole. Now, whether there was a hole there or not, most historians say that if there was a hole, it would only be large enough to put a basket down. It would not be large enough to put a man on a bed down. 
So obviously they had to do something to help create an area large enough. Now imagine if you will, Jesus is in the house and all of the people and and one writer said the scribes were there. So he had the the religious folks there that were going to make sure he did everything right. Thank you. And, and, And so they're sitting there. I don't know what he was telling them. I don't know what he was teaching. I don't know what he was saying. But all of a sudden, something hits them on top of the head. And here another second, something else hits them on top of the head. Can you imagine the disruption? As these four men are oblivious to what else might be going on, they only have one thing on their mind. We have got to get our friend inside this house where Jesus is. I can't even imagine what the people were thinking. They're looking up thinking, what in the world are these lunatics doing? What has happened? People, they've lost their mind. They're crazy. And, and, and so they, they just wouldn't leave well enough along. They just kept digging and scratching and clawing until they got a hole big enough. And by that time, I'm sure that the meeting had been disrupted. I just kind of wondered as I was thinking about this this morning, if while we were in church today, if all of a sudden stuff started falling from the ceiling in here, hitting you on the top of the head while you're trying to listen to the master. Yeah. (laughs) Woo. I, I, I can't even imagine the thinking, the thoughts of the people that were there, the scribes especially, with their snooty religious nose high in the air already, trying to sniff out some impropriety. This is not dignified. You know, you get those that come to church... They got that nose up and they're sniffing out. This is out of order. I want to tell you something. When faith gets involved and God's mercy gets involved, there's nothing off the plate. Oh yeah, I don't have time to go into that either, but anyway. And so here these guys are. They're letting, and here's what my understanding is. Their attention is on him. That's all they're concerned with. We just got to get this guy into the right place. And when they finally get him down, the scripture says that the Lord looked up and he saw their faith. Their faith, all four of them. The collective faith of those men created an atmosphere for God to do a miraculous work. That's why our corporate worship is so important and so powerful. Because when your voice begins to blend with my voice, and my voice blends with your voice, and your voice blends with this voice, it creates an atmosphere where God said, Oh, I want to be there in that place. I want to do something in that house. I will do something in that house. 
I want to talk about their faith for a minute. How powerful that collective faith of these men was to change the entire atmosphere and to change the tone of what was happening. It created an opportunity for a man Somebody other than themselves. Oh God, help me right now. This, my friend, is when faith becomes the most powerful in our lives. Not when it is focused on our need. Not when it's focused on me and what God can do for me and what I believe God's going to do in my life. But faith is most powerful when it is turned and it becomes about you and you. And somebody other than myself. When faith becomes selfless, it creates an atmosphere where God says, this is good. This is good. And I'm going to prove to you that's what he said. When you and I turn our faith outward, We help people that don't even realize they need help. And here, oh my Lord, I got, first of all, when they brought the man there, they knew he was crippled, but they didn't know why he was crippled. And all they were trying to do is get him to a place where his physical need could be met. But when a collective faith starts working, it allows God to go deeper than the flesh. It allows God to go deeper than the temporary issue that I think is my problem. And it allows him to get down to the root. Because when he started addressing the man, he said, your sins are forgiven. Well, nobody came here to get their sins forgiven. They came to get a healing in the man's body. But here's the thing. When you bring that faith atmosphere and you come into this place with that collective power it allows God to do things it gives God the opportunity to do miraculous things that we are not even aware of that we need you ever have a grumpy day And you admit, man, I don't know why I'm being so grumpy today. There's something back there that's made you that way. Now, we forget that. You know, we keep moving on in life, so we forget a lot of the things, the irritations that happen in our life that cause us to be grumpy. And so we just come to the... Altar, we say, oh God, I got a bad attitude right now. I just need you to help me, God. And God said, okay, I'm going to help you. But it ain't a bad attitude that's the problem. The problem is there's unforgiven sin in your life. There's unforgiven issues. The reason you got a bad attitude is because you got something in your heart against somebody on the other side of the church or somebody in your family. You don't want to let go of something. And so when you bring this collective faith together, when we come together like we have this morning, it allows God to delve deeper into my life and get beyond the surface issues and get down to the real core of the problem 
problems that I'm dealing with and struggling with. And he gives me the liberty to find freedom from those things. And so here's God's response to this collective faith. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. It is one of the most powerful, simple phrases that Jesus makes in the New Testament. But you have to notice the times when he made it. There are about four or five times in the New Testament when that phrase, be of good cheer, is used. And every time was a critical moment in somebody's life. And it was a moment of death. It was a moment of life or death. It was a moment of fear and wonder and question and doubt about the future. But the Lord's words in those situations was be of good cheer. Here's what God is saying. I just want you to understand from my perspective. When I sense and see the kind of faith that's operating right now in this room, it makes something rise up of goodwill in my heart. And it makes me want to change the atmosphere and create a better opportunity for somebody. It it causes a desire to be nurtured in God to come and do something. Something beyond what we could even ask or comprehend. Oh, yes. He said it when the disciples had been trying to get across the Sea of Galilee. They were rowing and rowing, but the winds were contrary. And it didn't matter the harder they tried, the further behind they became They had done it all night and hadn't even made it perhaps to the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee was, was, was a body of water that they could navigate in a matter of hours under normal circumstances. But these weren't normal times. There was a storm blowing around and they were, but they were doing all that they could do. They were rowing. They were trying to survive. They were trying to keep going. We can't go down out here and all of us sudden there is this misty spirit of what is that one of them said it's a ghost and what was the Lord's response to that fear be of good cheer that means I'm about to change your situation Ah. I'm about to change the outcome to this story. Oh yeah. It's what he said when he sat in an upper room with the disciples and he poured his soul out to them about the coming events of Calvary and the betrayal and all that he was going to have to suffer. But he said, I have good news for you. I've overcome the world. Be of good cheer. Don't let what you see coming. Knock your faith down. Don't let what you see coming. 
destroy what I'm doing. Understand there's a better day coming. There's a better day coming. And I'm just telling you that I want you to know that there is reason to be joyful today. There's a reason to dance and shout today. So the the undefeatable, unbeatable combination is the collective faith of people and the goodwill of God that seem to come together in moments like that. When God said, oh, I'm going to change the atmosphere. I'm going to alter the outcome. And here... In this place today, we've experienced that, that corporate worship. And we feel that drawing and God begins to minister. And, 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 and the truth is, it happens more often than we recognize that God is ready. He has a word to say to us today. And that is, be of good cheer. Instead of them hearing words of condemnation and words of reproach for what they were doing, the Lord was actually encouraging them and saying, you're doing good, guys. Come on, keep that up. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep praising me like you're praising me. Keep worshiping like you're worshiping because it's going to create that atmosphere for anything to happen. Here is a word that gives hope to a hopeless man and the possibility of recovery. Here is one that speaks to a man who has lost everything but was about to be given everything back. My, I don't know what you're, you felt like you've lost in your life, but I have a divine word for somebody today. God is going to bring it back. He's going to give it back. He's going to order your steps in the future and whatever you might have lost in the past. He said, I'm going to restore it to you. I'm going to bring it back into your possession. I'm going to bring back the joy. I'm going to bring back the laughter. I'm going to bring back the shout. I'm I'm going to bring back the joy. What does be of good cheer mean? It means you've come to the right place, honey. You are in the right atmosphere. Woo! Oh yeah, your friends could not have done a better thing for you than what they have done for you today. Oh yeah, oh yeah, be of good cheer. You are not only in the right place, but you're in the right presence. Of all the words that Jesus could have spoken, and the many that he did speak in his ministry, to me, there are none more precious and empowering than those words be of good cheer. Oh, it tells me, hey, there's a better day about to dawn in your life. 
there's a new horizon coming, a new opportunity. Whether you're frightened as a disciple and you're rowing through the night or you're sitting in a room full of friends and you're afraid of the future and what you're being told is not good. It's pretty bleak. But he said, hey, don't worry about it. I've got the future in my hand and I've got your future in my hand. Be of good cheer. Come on, let's stand together. It's what he said to Paul. Oh, no, in Rome. Oh, I don't even have time to go into that story. 27th chapter. And he said, there stood by me an angel of the Lord this night. Yeah. And his words were, be of good cheer. Paul. I just want you to know the atmosphere, the circumstances are about to change. I've heard, I've seen, you're not going down. When facing the issues that we face in life, it is important for us to hear God's response to our problem. Be of good cheer. This what what Brother Foster preached last night. I got this. How many of you went through the week saying that? Getting said, God, God, you've got this, and you've been here before, and you've done this before. That's what it means. And so when we come together and that collective faith begins to rise, what what did uh, let me let me get the scripture real quick. I, I know I've got it somewhere. He said, again, I say unto you. That if any two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them. Now, in the Greek, it's a play on words, musical terms, Brother Clati. And it was referencing when you hit a note. Put, put, hold. Yeah, just. Now, when I played the guitar or the bass, I would get my instrument and I would find that and I would start tuning myself to what that note is. And, and the other instruments on the platform, they're, they're, they're getting, so that when we start to actually play, there's harmony and not chaos. That's what the Lord said happens when you and I agree. You strike a note and it resonates in my heart. And when it starts resonating in my heart, it starts moving and resonating in this heart. And the next thing you know, it's resonating over here and over here and over here. And before you realize what's happening, there's an orchestra of praise and power that is released in this place. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So this is what the Lord wanted me to say to you. And I, I hope I hadn't made a mess of this today. But This is what I wrote down this morning. This is the message the Spirit would like to convey to someone here today. Your life may be a mess. Your hopes have been dashed. And your future bleak. Your circumstances dire are perhaps impossible. 
What you see before you is improbable. The human need is greater than the human capacity. The prospect of your life may not seem good. But I want to tell you there has been a word resonating in this place today. All over this building. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Hey, I've got this. I'm with you. I, 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 it's going to change. The, things are changing. The trouble, the fearful, the hopeless, the lost, whatever your situation is. There is that resonating word of God. However unhappy. However um, impossible, however deep your trouble, God is good with these situations. He is great in situations like that. He is powerful in moments like this. Amen. I want you to take the hand of your friend or neighbor. And I want you to realize that what is about to happen is going to be a, a, a reenactment of what we've already been through. But it is that, that it, it is that connecting of faith. And we're turning it outward. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's about, it, it's about somebody else. I'm not praying so I'll get an answer. I'm praying so God will give somebody else an answer. When we start praying like that, to me, that's the highest level of faith. That's when faith reaches its most powerful moment. When it becomes not about me, but about others around me. And so now, Lord, I bring my faith. I don't know who it is that's rowing today. I don't know who it is that's in darkness right now, God. But I want you to get a message to them in this place. That they can be of good cheer. That you've got this. You've got it. You've got it. You've got it. Oh, God, that we would get the word today.